How do you do, neighbor? It's Bree and Spirits time once again. The boys have gathered around, and they're ready for you. So join in, make comments, and study with the guys as they try to study as the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. Now, here's the guys. Welcome to this episode of Berean Spirits, another beautiful Thursday morning coming to you on the Facebook and YouTube and podcast and all the great social medias. If you want to join our conversation, you want to make a comment, ask a question, you can do so in the comment section below. We appreciate everybody who tunes in, listens, and comments. Of course, uh, we've got all the guys here this morning. My name is Chris Peltz. I'm the evangelist with the Southside Church of Christ here in Springfield, Missouri. We've got Josh Thornhill with the Brookmead Church of Christ over in Johnson City, Tennessee. Thornhill, how you doing? I'm good. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. Yes, you are. Yeah. Talk about the if, If you weren't here, you'd be somewhere else. That's true. I know. Oh, man. We got Richard Dotson with the Kearney Church of Christ up in Kearney, Missouri, who's dropping links and inviting folks to come and listen to our episode today. Richard. Hey, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Awesome. Yeah. You know what? We haven't had a lot of rain or storms up here. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, we got some oak trees in my neighborhood. They're just absolutely gorgeous. And with this Warm weather we're having. I say warm. It's it's just it's it's just very comfortable weather that we've been having. It's it's with the fall trees. It's it's really pretty. It's, yeah. it's very nice. Yeah, we've got a couple of trees here. Uh, one over on the property of the of the church, and then one here in our front yard. That I I don't know if they're maple or what what exactly the tree is, but man, they apparently have turned this bright red and uh, everyone comments on how beautiful they are. And um, it, there's a lot of that happening down here in Southwest Missouri for sure. So yeah, I got, I got three Oak trees and uh, pin Oaks and one, the leaves have turned orange. Yeah. And then the others still have some of their green. They got different uh, tints to it. So it makes it look pretty neat, you know, mm-hmm. to look at all three of them, but uh, yep. It's a nice time of year, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just evident of God's creation, right? I mean, that's that's what it's all about. I mean, look look around. That's what he said in Romans chapter 1. And, and everything around you is evidence of his creation. And uh, speaking of which, there's some question about his creation that we're going to talk about today. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, tells us that God made all things. And not only that he made all things, but that, or rather, that includes more than just this world, right? I mean, this the, we have this world, we have the spirit world. God is the creator and the sustainer of it all. And we're going to talk about the devil today and understand a couple of things, hopefully help you have a better understanding of a few things, one of which how he's working today, but but who he is and uh, and, and how we first learn about him, understanding that according to scripture, he's a created being, but at the same time, um, you know, that 
kind of raises a lot of questions about the devil, about angels, uh, all of that. We're going to stick with the devil this morning, um, but I think it is a going to be a good discussion for us today. And as we get into this, the, the devil is known for a few things. He, he's known as being the father of lies, the 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 prince of of lies, the prince of this world. And, and there's a few reasons for that that we will get into. And, but, Josh, we're first introduced to the devil, um, uh, technically, I, would, I guess we could say, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, where he comes in and tries to tempt uh, Adam and Eve um, and get them to sin. Yes, so... Um... All the sorrow that you experience in your life, you can point directly at the devil and blame him. <laughs> so, at Genesis chapter 3, uh, you know, God, I think it's interesting. God had created all things, and it specifically tells us in the text that God created all things, and he saw, looked on them and saw that they were good. Yep, Gen one thirty one. yep. Everything it says he looks and sees that they're good, and then uh, the devil shows up in the form of a serpent in chapter three, and it says he was more crafty than the beast of the, any beast of the field which Yahweh God had made. And he says to the woman, "Didn't God say you shall not eat from any tree of the garden?" And of course. Eve says, from the tree, fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it, and you shall not touch it lest you die. Uh, first of all, she understood the instruction that God had given. Um, she, she knew that God said, don't eat of, any tree, uh, eat of every tree except for this one. So she restates correctly what God had said. And then the serpent says to the woman, you shall not surely die. And, of course, God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And then notice verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. And the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took from its fruit and ate. Um, I think perhaps um you might be able to see from those descriptions the tree was good for food the delight to the eyes and the desire to make one wise i hadn't made this connection before but perhaps you can uh fit in the lust of the flesh lust of the eyes and the pride of life in those things um first John but regardless 15. she ends up partaking and then all of mankind is cursed as a result of it um and Essentially, we're still suffering the consequences uh, of that action even to this day. Uh, but, I mean, you see from there how the devil works. And again, he does the very same thing today. Uh, God said, you will surely die if you eat of this this fruit. And the devil said, you, you won't die. You're not going to die. And we see that very same thing today when God says, you must be baptized in order to have your sins washed away. And the devil says, you don't need to. You don't need to go worship. You don't need to be holy. And, and God's going to love you just the way you are. And so we see a bit of his character. You mentioned him as the prince of lies. You see exactly that right there, um, how he uses that deception to, to 
subtly twist what God has said so that way uh, people can be deceived and not accept the truth. Yeah. I mean, you know, John 8, 44, he's a murderer from the beginning and he's the father of lies. Richard, you you mentioned 1 John chapter 3 there in, in reference to what Josh was talking about. 1 John 2. Or first John, yeah, first oh, first John two. Well, going over to verse first John chapter three and verse eight, uh, again it says that he's been sinning from the beginning, right? And and uh, it, of course, there's a little bit more in that text that we're going to get into, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it talks about how he tempts, right, with the uh, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's how the devil tempted Jesus and the gospel of Matthew chapter four. Uh, it's how we are tempted today. It's how he tempted Eve. I mean, all of those things, we see how he's working. And that's one of the, the great things about God's word is not only do we learn who the devil is, what, uh, you know, what he is doing, but how he does it. And that's key for us to be able to resist and, and, and what that we're going to get into. But a little bit more about who the devil is, Jude, in verses uh, 6 through 8, may give us a little bit of insight into this, talking about, um, you know, those that left their habitation. Um, and and so, you know, having an understanding that, you know, this there was a habitation, there was a, uh, a, a boundary, that God had said, and they decided that they weren't going to stick with that. They left, and uh, obviously the devil has his following. Satan has his following. Um, that uh, you know, as First Corinthians uh, points out, not only is he uh, you know make himself to appear as one of the light, but also has followers who make themselves appear as those of of righteousness when they're not, right? And so it's important for us to understand not only that the influence and the work of the devil is out there, but how he is working. Um, you know, it's kind of like the best way to defeat an enemy is to know how the enemy works. Um, and again, we'll get more into that as we go. Richard? Go well, ahead. you know, I, I, there's a lot about the devil I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe there's explanations on some various passages that I just don't understand. <clears throat> but one thing I do know is he's very real. And uh, there's there's some passages that are very clear that we can read about the devil and understand that. And the one that's, that's scary to me is in the book of Job. When uh, it says the sons of man came to appear before God and Satan came with them. And uh, the Lord asked Job, you know, and this is in Job 1 and 2, He, you know, where have you been? And he said, from going to and fro upon the earth. And he said, have you considered my servant Job? And obviously he had, you know, from, from the response, he had considered Job. And I, and I thought that's kind of revealing when you think about he had, when you consider somebody, then you obviously know something about them. And I would say it's probably through observation. And then after you consider them, 
what are you considering? Well, his whole goal is, it appears, is to get us to sin. And so that tells me he schemes. You know, he thinks of ways in which to get you to fall. And that's exactly what he does with uh, Job. He comes up with two scenarios in which he thinks uh, if these things took place, if the Lord allowed it, that uh, it would uh, uh, cause Job to fall. Um, he ends up being wrong, but needless to say, uh, he, he considered Job. And one other interesting point was before he could do these things, the Lord had given him permission. And, the, you know, the thing that, that always kind of struck my interest about that is, uh, oh, where's the passage when it talks about uh, Luke 22, uh, when Jesus told Peter, he said that Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but Jesus had interceded for him. And uh, that that kind of makes me think that whole passage where he's talking about Peter that way, that, that makes me think of Job and how, you know, Satan had to go to God to get permission to do this. And, uh, you know, that, that's one revealing thing that we can see. But needless to say, he, he considers us. And so if we think we don't have an adversary, which the Bible makes it very clear, the devil is our adversary. If we think we don't have a worthy adversary, then uh, we're very, very foolish people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. First Peter 5, verse 8, in fact, uh, your adversary, the devil. Um, and so um, says that he is prowling, um, you know, to... Um, you know, like like a roaring lion. So uh, obviously he's you know seeking whom he may devour. He that's what his desire is, and I, I think that's uh, not only shows that he's an adversary, but I think it's kind of a good illustration of what was taking place even in the days of Job, there with Eve and uh, you know with with Peter. All of those occasions, I think, bring all of that together with what Peter said: how the devil is, in fact, it working. And um, and and his influence continues even today, which is um, you know a powerful point. I mean that all of that is you know, leads to sin, right? I mean that that's what he's wanting us to do. He he wants us to sin, and, and not only does he want us to sin, but you know who does who does he work it. Uh, the hardest to get to sin. Maybe we ought to, we know how he does it, right? With the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. Um, we, we know he's tempting. We know that he's putting things before people. We, we know that the, the things of the world are his tools that he is using in order to get people to sin, to turn away from God. But there are some that he is definitely more active at going after than others. Josh, go ahead. You think about a, a coach that's trying to recruit players uh, to his team. And you think he's worried about the guys who are currently playing, that he's trying to recruit them, trying to keep them on the team. Hey, guys, you know, this is a great place to play. I mean, they're already there, right? You know, does he need to 
recruit them. I mean, nowadays, you know, with all the nonsense going on, I think there is a sense in which some of that is is needed. But what the coach is focused on is getting out and recruiting the players that he doesn't have. And what we, and I think we need to appreciate is that if we are serving the Lord, if we are faithful to God, we're right in the crosshairs of who, of what the devil, of who the devil's searching for. It's Christians. That's who the devil wants. Everybody else, he's already got them. They're already on his side. What the devil wants is Christians, and that's why he's going attacking us with such a vengeance, trying to destroy us. And I think one of the things that we need to appreciate is the fact that the devil does want to destroy us. There's a book. Um, it's up here somewhere. Um, about It's focusing on Psalm 23, and it's looking at it from the perspective of a shepherd. And so he goes through the the list of the or the words of Psalm 23 and explains them as David, a shepherd, would have understood them. And it's very insightful. And, and at one point in the book, he describes his pastures and how they were lush and green. And then this this fence that was separating his pasture from the one over and the other one was kind of browned. The grass had died. And, you know, there was just patchy grass, very little sustenance for the uh, for the, the sheep. And he says he remembers uh, these pitiful little sheep from the other pasture just kind of sitting there in little knots at the, the fence, just kind of gazing longingly at his lush green pastures. And what that's meant to illustrate is on God's side, you have the lush green pastures. God wants to call you to him so that he can bless you, so that he can provide for you, so that he can love you. Satan wants to trick you to come to his side so that he can absolutely destroy you. And, you know, that, that ought to give us another perspective on sin and temptation that we face. Recognizing that the temptations that are set before us are, are there to devour us like the lion that we've mentioned there he's seeking to devour us to destroy us and he doesn't want to be our friend and he's right he's after us and we need to be on guard and and ready to stand firm against him lest we be destroyed yeah absolutely i mean that's a great illustration and you know we mentioned earlier first john chapter 3 verse 8 whoever makes it a practice of sinning is of the devil right if if he can you know if if he has that right if he has you doing that he's got you yeah he's got you where he wants you he can turn his attention his focus his focus on those that that he doesn't have he he can try to tempt and lead away those who are God's, but th that's the one of the beauties about being a child of God. It, it, not only that, but just a part of God's creation, as far as mankind is concerned, is we can make that choice, right? We have the ability to choose. We we can make that choice at any time in our life. We make that choice at one point when we sin, um, and we make a choice to come 
to God to be redeemed by, back by the blood of Christ. And, and we can make a choice to turn again back into this world uh, and follow after the, the devil and choose to go on sinning. Uh, or we can choose to remain faithful and follow after the blessings of God and, and the hope that we have eternally. Uh, but the devil is definitely doing his part to influence us, uh, you know, to to leave the Lord and 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 come to Him. And it, it, again, he's that roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Uh, and and it's a it's a powerful influence, Richard. I, I think that's something that a lot of people underestimate is the power of the influence of the world, of, of Satan, because, I mean, the world's all we know. I mean, phys- you know, literally, this is what we know, what we are comfortable with. I mean, that's, uh, it. it's an easy sell for the devil to make in a lot of ways. You know, I, I've thought a lot about that. I, one thing I've thought a lot about is, uh, is why the devil seems to hate us so much. Uh, I don't know. Those questions, I don't know what his motive is and things of that nature. I just know that he's a liar and a murderer. But, uh, Chris, you're right about that. You know, if you think about, uh, I want to go back to David, David Bathsheba. And if you remember in 2 Samuel 11, when uh, David was uh, walking on the roof of the king's house. When he saw Bathsheba washing herself, she was a woman that was very beautiful to look upon. Now, David has a choice at that point. And, and by the way, keep in mind that, you know, when he's doing this thing, when this whole event's taking place, he's living in the world. And there probably, there might've been, I mean, you know, it, it may be like us living in this world. It's it's very hard to be able to uh, not observe sin and are the results of sin. Uh, if you're on Facebook or anywhere, you're going to see immodest apparel, for instance. And, and David had a choice at this point, and that's what I think we really got to notice. Uh, the thing about that described Job, and Job was a success story, but the thing about Job that if you uh, go back in, in Job chapter 1, what the Lord said about him, it said he feared God and he eschewed evil, it turned away from evil, same thing, whatever version you may have, but he turned away from it. Now this gets back to what Chris is saying. David saw a beautiful woman bathing. Now, he could have turned away. He could have. And then what might he have done at that point? Well, Jesus told his disciples in the garden to watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And so at that point, it would have been a good idea for David to to watch and pray, understanding that uh, a lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh had been put before him. I mean, he, it, she was beautiful for him to look upon. So that would, that would, you know, equate to that. Uh, it could lead to that. 
And so he could have done that. He could have turned away, but he didn't do it. And so now you got that old conniving Satan who is considering David. And he weaves his web and, and follows, follows that up with more temptations. Because, of course, what takes place? Well, he commits fornication with Bathsheba. That's a sin. And now she finds out she's pregnant. And, you know, he tries to come up with some way to hide it with Uriah the Hittite trying to send him to his, his own home. And, of course, Uriah was a soldier for David. He wasn't going to come home and celebrate when his fellow soldiers and the ark and everything was out engaged in battle. And so David couldn't connive away to hide the fact that Bathsheba was carrying his baby. And so he decided now to be able to hide it, he would have Uriah killed. And of course I'm taking for granted, everybody knows that story. And uh, uh, then Nathan, the prophet comes in and discloses, to David that he was guilty. But all of that, I mean, Josh was saying earlier how, you know, talking about how Satan just gets us in sin and destroys us. Well, that's exactly what you see taking place with David. David started off by looking at a woman who was bathing and he didn't turn away. And I'm, what I mean by turning away, I mean, you know, putting that aside. He should have watched and prayed so he didn't enter into temptation, but he didn't do that. And he ends up getting into sin after sin after sin, each one just getting, you know, compounding upon the other until he was just fully wrapped up in it. And of course, we've seen the consequences. Uh, you know, he wasn't, uh, the Lord just didn't, even though he repented, the Lord just didn't let him you know, not suffer any of the consequences of it. Uh, today, and I'll, I'll solve this real quick. I'll, I'll get done. Today, we are, we're faced with the same exact situations in our Christian life. And we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5.22 to abstain from every form of evil. And that does not mean we are going, as Chris said, we're living in this world. This is an evil world. We're going to observe evil. We're going to see that. And we have to understand when we see that, we can be tempted with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. As we talked about, we can be tempted that way. And so are we going to turn from that evil or are we going to act upon it? And, and that's the, that's the thing right there. That's the whole, that's the whole part of living this Christian life. And that's what uh, the Lord's waiting to see is, you know, what decisions we're going to make. I think it's important for us to understand Matthew 25, for example, verse 41, the eternal fire that is prepared for the devil and his angels, that, that there is a condemnation of the devil that, and, and a judgment that has been handed down by God for the devil and his angels. What we need to understand with everything that you just pointed out, with all of the, that temptation, with all, you know, with those choices that we have to make, we have a warning. First Timothy chapter three and verse six, um, 
Is that right? First, it, first or second Timothy chapter three, verse six, um, it, it, that basically we can fall into the same condemnation as the devil, right? We, we, we can, uh, have that same condemnation. We can be ushered into either the glories of heaven or the horrors of hell, um, you know, with the devil, you know, that same eternal punishment prepared for the devil and his angels, that that can be us if we make the wrong choice or if we do not turn away from sin and we continue in it uh, and not come to the Lord Christ Jesus and obey the gospel God's way. That That is a very real possibility. And, the, and God knows that. And so with that said, right, knowing that we can suffer the same fate, the same condemnation as the devil, how easy or how difficult, and maybe that's a little bit more of a loaded question than, than I'm intending here, but um, I, I mean, it, it, can we? really resist the devil? I mean, is that an option that we have? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Are you um, sure about that, Josh? I, I think there's really kind of two, two facets to the answer though. Can we resist the, the devil on our own? No. With God's help? Yes. And I think that's the point of Ephesians chapter 6. When he talks about the spiritual battle that we're engaged in, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He's not saying go in it alone. You know, just, just kind of bulk yourself up and let's go. Let's go fight. No, he says, you need to rely on the Lord and his strength. Then you will stand against him. And I think the, the point is, if we try it on our own, we're going to fail every time, every single time. But when we have the strength that the Lord provides and the means that he provides to overcome, we can do it. Mm -hmm. We can be successful. And I think part of the um, part of the issue, kind of touching on what Richard was saying as well, is I think we give the devil too much room in our hearts and lives uh, to be able to operate. And we make it so much more difficult on ourselves. I, I, have a lesson on Proverbs chapter four and verse 23, uh, where it says to guard your heart with all diligence for from it flows the springs of life. And my, my point is that, you know, some of the versions say, keep your heart. And I like the idea of guard your heart. What you're doing is you're putting a guard, a guard rail or a, a fortress around your heart to protect it from the onslaught of the devil. And, you know, what are we guarding it from? Well, like Richard said, all the immorality that we see all around us, we're trying to insulate it from those things that we're going to be bombarded with. Um, regardless, I mean, you go to the grocery store, you're going to be re bombarded with uh, some immorality. But what about our homes? How much of our homes do we allow that immorality to bombard our hearts? Now, when talking about the, the kind of media that we consume, uh, the kind of things that we do within our own homes, we allow this immorality in, and, and we're kind of giving that a place in our hearts. Giving opportunity to the devil. 
giving opportunity to the devil. And then we wonder why it's so hard to resist the devil. Well, if that's where you set your heart and your mind, then of course it's going to be hard. If you're opening up the gate and allowing him straight through the gate into the middle of the fortress, I mean, of course we're it's going to be hard. And that's why he says, guard your heart with all diligence. And I, and I know we might think, oh, you know, it's just a few bad words. I can handle that or, or whatever it might be. You know, it's just violence. I can handle that. I, you know, whatever excuse we make, well, I'm strong enough. It's not going to affect me. You're not. I can promise you that you're not. Nobody and so is. we need to put up these guardrails, guarding our hearts uh, to keep it away from the devil. And that's part of what the spiritual armor in Ephesians 6 is. It's that, that armor that surrounds our hearts that keeps the devil away from it. And too often we leave that over in the corner and we think, well, I don't need that right now. Uh, yeah, you do. Because yeah. unless you have it, you're going to fail. He, and this, this goes right to the point, Chris, of what you were asking about influence. And what he's talking about is really illustrated with Lot and uh, how Lot was given that choice by Abraham to choose which way he wanted to take his herd to the right or left, to him and his herdsmen, and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And we know what took place with Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's uh, it's illustrated in... Uh, uh, was it Second Peter? Second Peter two. Uh, hang on. Yeah. Second Peter two, seven and nine. It says, "If he rescued the righteous lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked." See, he saw this stuff. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. And, uh, of course, then it says the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. But needless to say, Lot, Lot's a good example of what we're talking about. He, he, he put himself in that situation, and it distressed him. It was, it was hard. It was very difficult. He was being tormented by it. And all too often, you know, we're doing the same thing. As Josh said, we're doing the same exact thing when uh, with our televisions and with our computers, uh, with our phones. And uh, it, it's, it's you know, it, like Josh said, there's nobody is strong enough to withstand it. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to have to flee from the appearance of evil. You know, with, with all of those things that you guys have pointed out, you know, from Ephesians chapter 6, you know, put on the whole armor of God that you can withstand, right, the the, the fiery darts of the devil. James chapter 4, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But there's a second part of that, and I think that's sometimes something that we miss, and you guys have made an excellent point that we're not going to do this alone, because after he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. In all of these instances, when it talks about overcoming Satan, when it talks about overcoming sin, it is not by ourselves. It is with the help and the power of God. It is with the gospel of Christ. It is through that means, right? Anyone who ta who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall, Second Corinthians chapter 
uh, what five verse 10 or vice versa. But, but that's the point, right? It's always about, you know, letting God work in our lives and trusting him uh, rather than giving ourselves over to the influence of Satan, which is is so easy to do. Chris, that's a good point you just made because, you know, throughout the the gospels, Jesus makes reference to himself as the good shepherd and, uh, and, and his, his followers are his sheep. And of course, what do we know about sheep? Uh, Jesus made it very clear. You know, he said that the sheep hear my voice. They know me. Yeah. Okay. So if there's danger about the shepherd is going to call his sheep and they're going to come, right? I mean, that's what's going to happen in real life. A a shepherd's going to call his sheep. They're going to come and he's going to try to herd them together to protect them from the danger. Uh, And, and so look what Jesus did when he went up into the, uh, led by the spirit into the wilderness to be uh, tempted by the uh, devil. Uh, Matthew four, uh, three times he was tempted. And every time he said it is written and he was, well, think about what he was doing. He was like a sheep following the shepherd's voice, because that's what we're supposed to do. We listen for the shepherd's voice, and we can only do that by following the Bible. And so that's what we need to do today. When we're tempted, as Jesus showed us, we need to look about, you know, what is written. And if, if it's if it's written that this is evil, then we, abs- we abstain from it, and we have to follow Jesus. I mean, he showed us the way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that he is the way, the truth, and the life, right? Mm-hmm. No one comes to the Father except through him. And that that, you know, it not only goes to resisting the devil, but it goes to our own salvation, right? Too many times we try to do things on our own. And we we want independence. We want, you know, that self-reliance, but yet we need to humble ourselves and and allow God to work with us, for us, through us, and and rely upon his strength and his power and and know that we cannot do it alone. We cannot uh, do this on our own power. We we need God. God tried to demonstrate that to Israel throughout the Old Testament history over and over again. And every time they tried to do it on their own, they failed only when they relied upon God. And and that was just a, a illustration of how he wanted us to work uh, under the new covenant as well. Go ahead, Josh. Uh, we had a comment here um, that um, I was reminded about a, a thing with the devil. I actually mentioned this in a sermon in the past couple of weeks. I can't remember which one it was, but... Um, it's the illustration of, of this this field, and right down the middle is is a fence. And on one side you have God's people, and on the other side you have Satan's people. And you know people gather to the the side that they've chosen, and then you know at the the appropriate time God comes and gathers the people that are on His side, and then Satan comes to gather those on His side. And there's one guy that's sitting there on the fence. 
And Satan goes to him and says, come on, let's go. And he says, wait a minute, I, I, I haven't made a choice yet. He said, oh, didn't you know I own the fence? And so the idea is that we, um, you know, we, we've got to be uh, completely devoted to God or else we are in reality on Satan's side. Jesus says, if you're not forming, you're against me. There's no passive, um, there's no passive members of the kingdom yeah you're either all in or not at all and so um it's it's kind of sobering to to think about you know how how easy it is to allow ourselves to be overtaken and to be on the devil's side or to be on the middle in the middle you know trying to straddle the fence you can't do it it's not going to work and mm-hmm. so uh, we've got to um, commit ourselves entirely to the Lord, trust in Him and His strength if we're going to find uh, victory. Yeah, and I don't. If if one of you guys would go to Second Thessalonians two, and if you if you wouldn't mind reading verses nine through twelve for Second Thessalonians chapter two verses nine through twelve, um. If one of you guys would read that, because I think this brings all of this together in so many ways, what we've, the, the kind of the points that we've just been making. Well, Josh, I'll let you turn to it, but uh, Preacher Riley, I don't know him, uh, but I appreciate the comment. Some people try to fix their lives before coming to Christ when they should be giving it to Christ because he is the only one that can help us. Amen. Yeah, and that's right. You're, you're right. Uh, we got to... Uh, uh, you see a lot of people who are going uh, they're well, like they're having marriage problems and they're trying to help their marriage by reinventing marriage. For instance, I'm using that as an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, the only way you're going to help your marriage is to, you know, do you're going to have to practice your marriage the way God designed for it to work. Yeah. So that's a good example of that. Yeah. Uh, you're either with the king or against the king. He also goes on to say that goes along with what Thomas said about you can't straddle the fence. Yeah. But go go ahead, Josh. Um, Second Thessalonians chapter two, beginning in verse nine, says, uh, "Whose coming is in accord with the working of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of unrighteousness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved." And for this reason, God sends them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in unrighteousness. Yeah. And and so the, the point of that is, first of all, you have the devil doing his best to influence and, and having influence on all those of the world. And so many people are perishing. And in that very text, he makes the point that we've been trying to stress the reason they perished. Is because they did not receive a love of the truth, right? And, and that truth is the gospel, right? Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word mm. is truth, John 17, verse 17. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, for, uh, the gospel of John chapter 1, verse 14 and verse 17. Uh, and, and so the, the love of the truth, right? That's what we must have on in all of this, because without a love, not just knowing the truth, a lot of, well, I know the Bible, I know this passage, I know that passage. No, no, no. 
listen, if you don't have a love of the truth, then you perish with the devil because you are not relying upon the power of the gospel of Christ to save and to guide and lead and help you to resist the devil. So, uh, Richard, you got any last thoughts for us this morning? No, I think I'm done. Josh? I think I'm good, too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we appreciate everybody who has tuned in. Those who have commented, some wonderful comments that we've gotten, some great illustrations that we have, not only from the Scriptures, uh, but what the brethren have brought up for us today to consider. And I hope you guys will give it its due diligence in your prayers, thoughts, study, and, uh, and applying the Word of God in your lives. Resist the devil and draw near to God. Until next time, remember to search the Scriptures with Berean Spirits. Well, folks, that's all for today. Don't worry. Lord willing, the guys will be back next week for another Bible study on Berean Spirits. Until then, let the guys hear from you. Drop them some email at bereanspirits at gmail.com. They'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep studying that Bible.